Hello again, everyone, and welcome to it. It is the Derek Hunter Podcast for the fourth day of August 2022. Happy Thursday to you. Hoping it's glorious. All right. I want to get started as quickly as possible, so let me burp out the sales pitch at patreon.com slash Derek Hunter Podcast or Derek Hunter dot locals dot com where you can get the bonus content you can get all sorts of bonus content you can enter the contest and you just get to support the program which is deeply deeply appreciated by me and my children so uh check it out it's well worth it and enter the contest while you're there um good luck to all of you five bucks a month is all we ask now Let's, like I say, I wanted to get through it quickly. We're only at like 40 seconds in, which with the music is like a minute in. Let's start the show. We got a lot of things to talk about. There's a bunch going on in the world. There were a whole bunch of primaries yesterday in Michigan and Arizona and Kansas and here and that and the other thing. And I get all the emails and why don't you talk about this one? And why didn't you mention that one? And why don't you go it because... Frankly, I don't really care about the primary votes. And it's pretty simple. The rationale for it, it's not cynical, although I'm sure it's based in cynicism and maybe some of you won't believe it's not cynical because I am such a cynic, but I'm for the Republican. I'm, I'm making, I, I, I'm for the Republican. That's it, period. I don't care. They're going to be horrible Republicans. Yes, they're going to be horrible Republicans out there. To be honest with you, and I can hear the hate mail coming already, but I'm just going to say it. If Liz Cheney were to somehow win her primary, I would be in favor of Liz Cheney winning the election. Not she will. It's Wyoming. Democrats don't really stand a chance. But that would be my... I don't think she's going to survive the primary. I would prefer she not survive the primary. But I don't live in Wyoming. And there are far more important things to do than fight over one House seat held by somebody I think has completely lost their mind. So I don't focus on it. She'll probably lose. If she doesn't, she'll be there. So what? You've got to deal with it. Parties for a long time had to deal with differences in opinion or differences of opinion amongst their members. It was just how the world worked. Democrats have sort of pioneered the we don't have any differences anymore mentality. And they really honestly have. They don't have any difference. What are What is it that Democrats are, uh, where do they differ? Where do they come up with these things? Where is it? Do you know? No, you don't know. It's a difference of opinion. You don't have it. On abortion, there is across-the-board uniformity. And nobody questions it. Nobody says, wait a second. There used to be something called Blue Dog Democrats. Blue Dog Democrats, believe it or not, settle down, kids, I'll tell you a story. Blue Dog Democrats used to be Democrats who were concerned about federal spending. They were concerned about fiscal issues. They were concerned about out-of-control government spending. The prospect that that would lead to a downturn in the economy, commonly referred to as inflation. They really did exist. And there was a fairly large, sizable group, dozens and dozens, maybe as many as a score of them. Score is a dozen, dozen, I believe. But they've been pushed out of office. Now, how have they been pushed out of office? It's pretty simple. A lot of these blue dog Democrats were from Democrat-controlled states, but conservative-ish pockets in Democrat-controlled states, like California, for example. California's congressional delegation used to not be almost completely Democrats. There's a breakdown. There's mostly de more Democrats than Republicans over since the 90s, but it wasn't, you know, 90 to 1. Well, as Democrats solidified their power, something that they pretend they don't do, that they pretend to care about, and they lie and say, oh, this is horrible. They only care about it when Republicans do it. Through gerrymandering, Democrats have gotten rid of not only Republican districts through 
creating a map that looks like, you know, somebody sneezed on a wet Rorschach test to make sure that Republicans can't win anywhere. They created solidly blue radical left wing districts where a Republican is not even going to be safe walking down the street. So what happens there? You get these, well, frankly, AOC types who are, you know, AOC's district used to be, I think the guy's name was Joe Cunningham. He was amongst the leadership in the House of Representatives. And there used to be a time where that was enough. But they had gerrymandered his district trying to screw over Republicans so much that they ended up screwing over themselves and creating a monster. Why? Because they made his district heavily Hispanic. Now, this is after, Pav, through Pavlovian repetition, had managed to uh, instill identity politics into uneducated masses. AOC's district, not educated, is not uneducated because they're Hispanic. They're uneducated because they've been ruled by Democrats for so long. But they saw a white guy running against a Hispanic woman. It was the first time a Hispanic woman had ever actually put in an effort and run against that white guy. And you know what? She won. She surprised him. She beat him in the primary. That took a guy who on occasion was semi-sane and replaced him with somebody who was insane. They created a district where the insane could get elected. They did that throughout the Democrat strongholds across the country. And lo and behold, a whole bunch of Democrats uh, lost, elected Democrats lost, and were replaced by crazy people. So as Democrats sit there and uh, hoist themselves in their own petard, they did it to themselves. It's kind of funny to watch. They're a whole bunch of, a lot of them, so a lot of them have become frauds. The people who have survived is they watch their party go crazier and crazier. They go, we've got to shift gears. We've got to figure out a new way to, to communicate, a new way to run, a new thing to run on and whatever. That leads, this Politico story today cracks me up. I guess it was yesterday. Now, no, it's today. It was this morning, 4.30 a.m. Why one pro-Roe Democrat is still seeking bipartisanship on abortion. Huh? Tim Kaine is not the typical Democrat spokesperson for restoring Roe v. Wade. He's a practicing Catholic who personally opposes abortion. That hasn't stopped him from seeking a bipartisan path to reinstate Roe. It also hasn't stopped him from supporting abortion every single chance he's had at every single office he's ever held. I love that. It's the same as Joe Biden. Look, he's a personally, he's against, he's a practicing Catholic, he's an devout Catholic, he's one step this side of the Pope. My God, he's just a wonderful person. He's almost Pope. So what are you supposed to believe about these people? Well, you're not supposed to think about it. You're just supposed to say, oh, my goodness, Tim Kaine, who ran with Hillary Clinton, who was only chosen because he spoke Spanish, chose him over an actual uh, Hispanic guy because the Hispanic guy, Castro, didn't speak Spanish. (laughs) That's how how identity politics are. It's a a Sophie's choice. Do I go with the, the white guy who speaks Spanish or the Hispanic guy who doesn't? Hmm. Well... People fall for words all the time. Let's go for the the ability to speak to them. Anyway, what does it say about Tim Kaine? What does it say about Joe Biden? What are they don't want you to think about it? But if you do think about it just for a second, you have to come to the conclusion eventually, I suppose you could if you're delusional, all oh, these people are so noble and they're willing to put aside their personal beliefs. But the more more to the point, I think they're they're more you look at it and you say, so you're telling me that you're willing to go to hell. If you're a devout Catholic, as these people say, abortion is bad. The Catholic Church is bad. You are expressly going against the dogmatic teachings of the Catholic Church. You are willing to go spend eternity in hell. It's not like you can go, well, if I take this position, I'm going to have to do a solid three to five year stint in hell. No, There is no appeals process. There is no short sentencing deal when it comes to hell. You're either in hell or you're not in hell, and it's for eternity if you're a devout Catholic. So they're willing to go to hell for eternity 
for political power here in this world. If you believe them, I don't, I don't believe them, but if you believe them, that seems to be the only options that there are. If there's another one, please, I'm open to hearing it, but I don't think there is. So Tim Kaine, Joe Biden, oh, they're heroes. They put aside their religious beliefs and uh, support abortion rights because it's the right thing to do. No, you don't get to set aside church dogma, not without you know there being long-term consequences, and I mean the ultimate in long term. But this is where we are as a party. You sit there and you go, well, what about this primary and what about the other party primary and what about this, that? No, I don't care who Republicans nominate. There will be Republicans nominated who are absolutely crazy. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. I'd rather have them than any Democrat. There are Democrats who are uh, moderately sane somewhat occasionally or maybe say, I don't care. I want them defeated. It's that simple. So I don't need to talk about, and we don't need to talk about what's go- what happened in the governor's race out in Arizona. I don't know. I don't know. There's a couple of people running. One's got Trump support. One's got uh, Mike Pence's support. Either of them, whoever wins, gets my support. Period. End of story. I think that there's a proxy fight going on in the Republican Party between Trump and Pence. I don't want to get involved in it. I don't care about it. I think Donald Trump supports candidates who kiss his butt. And I think Mike Pence supports candidates who oppose Donald Trump. I think they've got, you know, it's like the battling Bickersons, whatever. I don't really care. Neither, in my opinion, is a way to pick a candidate. I have more faith in the voters of those states and those districts to make decisions based on whatever it is they saw, whatever it is they know. Yes, Democrats are out there throwing a whole bunch of money trying to get the people they deem to be the craziest nominated. Is it going to work? I don't know. I don't know. I don't care. I'd rather go down swinging than go down pouting. So I'm not interested in that. And that's why I don't spend a lot of time sitting there going, what about this one? What does it mean that this candidate won versus the other candidate? What does it mean that Tudor Dixon won the governor's uh, nomination of the Republican Party in Michigan over whoever the other guy was? They were both trying to out-MAGA each other. I don't know. I kind of looked at it as frankly, debasing for two adults to sit there and say, no, 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 I'm going to kiss his butt. I'm going to kiss his butt. I'm going to kiss his butt. And then you look at it and you go, okay, at the end, Trump supported the one with 70% in the polls. Well, hell, I could have made that prediction. So he doesn't get credit for that. (laughs) I'm like, oh my goodness, he really went out on a limb here. I can predict oftentimes that the person on third base is going to score with a high degree of accuracy based on who's up and the number of outs. That doesn't make me a soothsayer. Frankly, the president predicting in in Kansas the uh, thing, I I support Eric and the two leading Republicans being named Eric, and he wouldn't say which one he supported uh, because the polls had it close. They ended up not being close is, I think, a testament to why you should vote how you want and not give a damn what any former president or any politician thinks. I support Eric. They're both Eric. And now, today, he'll do an end zone dance like, see, I put him over the edge. No, no, you didn't. That's why it's always best to vote in your own best interest. Period. End of story. You want to talk about the ultimate in cynicism? That's the ultimate in cynicism, I think. I went and looked it up because it was bothering me too. So it was a score. Score is 20. I was thinking of a gross, a dozen dozen, whatever the case may be. So there you go. Everybody can rest easy. Every once in a while I get it wrong, but the beauty of me is I get it right soon thereafter. Correct it. So, yeah. Um, By the way, speaking of non-traversies, There is this thing going on. I don't understand. Official Washington gets incredibly stupid very easily, very quickly. And over the dumbest things, 
It's amazing to me how these people can function. And these people, believe me, they function. And they make a ton of money. They get paid a small fortune. But there is this uh, push, and this lets you know how little the so-called January 6th Commission has, power-wise, influence-wise, is what they obsess upon. Now, if they had evidence, they'd go, aha, look at this. Here is a gun, and you see out of the end of it, it is smoking. We got him. We got him. We got him. We got him. And that would be all they did nonstop. If there were a whole bunch of staffers and Secret Service agents and everybody saying, on that day, Donald Trump had a button in his pocket, he kept pushing it and said, all right, go smash the windows, go get, go get Mike Pence, go beat up Nancy Pelosi. If that were the case, they would have that constantly, even if it was hearsay. Give me the second guy saying uh, Donald Trump said kill Mike Pence. And that would be it. That would be all you'd hear about it nonstop. But that's not all you hear about it nonstop. You don't hear anything about it nonstop. You hear these insignificant things that are, dare I say, conspiratorial in nature. You have to believe various conspiracies in order to have any, to lend any weight to this sort of thing. And one thing I'm talking, what am I talking about? The uh, Secret Service phones being wiped. Remember that? Oh, all the Secret Service phones, they don't have any, uh, they don't have the, uh, the text messages from the Secret Service. And so that's what they're trying to do. They, they, they're hiding them. They deleted all of them. What was the Secret Service trying to do? First of all, it's, that's a lot to believe from an agency that you know dedicates itself to protecting the lives of the president, the vice president, and a whole bunch of uh, important diplomats and everything around people. And you just really got to believe a whole bunch of crap. But you also have to believe that it happened on Biden's watch because the wiping of these phones, the elimination of these text messages. Happened in February of 2021. Joe Biden took office in January of 2021. It was under the Biden regime. You have to believe that they said, we've got to protect the president. That's a president that if you really want to make a ton of money in this town, you simply hate. Make up a story about him. You'll you'll get a hero. You're welcome. You'll get a book deal. You'll be on uh, CNN and MSNBC as much as you want to be. It doesn't matter. Well, now there's another wave. A bunch of Homeland Security and Pentagon cell phones were wiped as well. And you're sitting there and you're going, my God, this conspiracy. Holy cow. Except that again, it happened on Joe Biden's watch. Now, why does this happen? Here's how government works. Michael, just for an example, Michael Beschloss this morning, not a very smart man, but he's a presidential historian. He is a left wing hack and he seems to like he's trying to keep his contract with NBC. He says, "Okay, Secret Service phones are wiped. So were those of Homeland Security. Now, reportedly, the same with the Pentagon. Anyone want to explain what's going on here? And you've got this idiot, Jill Weinbanks, MSNBC legal analyst. She, she's old. She's been around forever since Watergate. She's a Watergate host or uh, author of Watergate Girls, MSNBC legal analyst, of course. She responds, answer to your question is crimes are going on. Conspiracy to defraud government, violation of Federal Records Act, obstruction of congressional investigations, and probably many more. But she's a legal analyst. She's an idiot. Michael Beschloss, at least as a presidential historian, his idiocy on how the government works is uh, somewhat understandable. But here's how it works. When I worked in the United States Senate, it was the first time I'd ever had a, a smartphone. It was given a BlackBerry. It wasn't a brand new in-the-box BlackBerry. It was an older BlackBerry. Why? Because the government buys Blackberries or bought Blackberries. I don't even think they exist anymore. They bought Blackberries for everybody in all of the House and the Senate, all their offices, everybody who was relevant, who needed to be in contact constantly, got a Blackberry so they could get emails wherever they were. And then they left 
work? What do you do with that BlackBerry? Do you say, well, congratulations, just take the BlackBerry with you? No, that's not how it works. Now, all of the information transmitted over that BlackBerry was transmitted over government servers, although Congress doesn't have the, is not uh, subject to the Federal Records Act, so it doesn't really matter, but the concept is the same. If they wanted my emails, they could have gotten them. Same with my text messages. They paid the bills. The cell companies have them. But if you're in an administration, one from another, you get a government-provided cell phone. Are you going to be handed a government-provided cell phone that has all the information from the person before it? No, you're not. Why? Because you would soil yourself if the same thing happened to you. Democrats love to talk about they love to talk about choice, but they only mean choice insofar as abortion. They love to talk about privacy, but they only really talk about privacy. They only mean it in terms of of abortion. That's it. Nothing else really matters. So when you turn in your cell phone, what do you do? All of your communications are archived on the servers that they're connected to through the email and the system, the the service of your Verizon, if it's Verizon, Verizon has all your text messages. That's it. So what do you do without thinking? You just go back and you go through all the steps, and there are not very many steps. You could do it right now with your phone if you pulled it out. And you could say, reset to factory settings. And boom, it wipes everything clean. And then you turn in your phone. All your contacts are off of there. All your personal nudes that you took, whatever you got, they're all wiped off the phone. And you give it back to the government. And the government says, all right, thank you. Because what do they say? They say, turn in, turn in your phone. Now, these idiots over there, the Secret Service, Homeland Security, the Pentagon, the Beschloss people, the people at Beschloss and Jill Weinbanks are attacking, they, uh, they had to prove it. They can't prove it. They just need the conspiracy. They need to say, look, this is, this is why the January 6th committee hasn't found that smoking gun. And this, because like the president would sit around and plot with the Secret Service, right? The president would sit around and plot with the Secret Service. But they need to say this is probably where the inf- this is why we can't get Trump. This is why we can't get those prosecuted. This is why we can't get anybody in jail. They wiped all the things down. When in fact the Secret Service doesn't communicate via text in any meaningful way. Why? Because every single person in a personal protective detail for a president of the United States has an earpiece and a microphone in their sleeve. That's how they communicate. All of that is recorded. That's how they communicate. You imagine if you're sitting there going, oh boy, the president wants to go uh, to the Capitol. What would you do if you're a Secret Service agent, body man on the president of the United States? Would you pull your your hand up to your mouth and say, the president would like to go to the Capitol? Or would you pull out your phone and start typing? As the president, you're not you're not going to get the president to go. Hey, wait a second, Mr. President. I just got to send a quick text message. The president would. Oh, damn! Autocorrect. The president would like to go to the Capitol. Wait, now he's fighting with me. Are you going to type all of that out? No, you're not. In fact, if the Secret Service coordinated their activities via text message, every single one of them should be fired. Who does it? It's wildly inefficient, and I suspect particularly not secure. Same with Homeland Security, same with Pentagon. If they are conveying sensitive material via text message, then somebody's head needs to roll. A lot of heads need to roll. They're not. But I would point out this one, this outrage the Michael Beschlosses and this MSNBC contributor are pretending to have. Oh, the outrage. Oh, the outrage. Not a single one of them gave a damn about it when Hillary Clinton was active, actively wiping servers clean. When she had her staff not only take the phone and wipe it data-wise, but beat holy hell out of it with a hammer. Beat holy hell out of them with the hammer. Now, were those phones government property? I suspect that they were. 
These people do work on government pieces of property, although many of them probably weren't because Hillary knew what she was doing. She wanted to conceal as much as humanly possible from it. Now, this isn't Secret Service. And what they're ultimately doing is disparaging Secret Service agents. This isn't Secret Service. This is the Secretary of State herself and her innermost personally selected staff that are sitting there doing the uh, wiping, doing the smashing, doing the hiding, doing the obfuscation. You will not find anything from Michael Beschloss or Jill Weinbanks about, my goodness, Hillary Clinton wiping her server clean and destroying all of her phone devices. What's go- Anybody want to explain what's going on here? No, you won't find that from Michael Beschloss because he's not an honest person. He's not a good person. He's not a decent person. He's a hack. So as you sit there and recognize and listen to all of this crap, and you're going to hear more of it, recognize a couple of things. First of all, this is what happens when you turn in devices to your work. If you've ever had a cell phone provided to you by your employer, the odds are 99 to 1 that you wiped it clean when you turned it back in because you didn't want your personal stuff on there. It's normal. It was not part of a massive conspiracy. And the reason that Democrats are focusing on this is because the January 6th committee has really almost nothing else. They've got heavily edited show trials that are designed to impact polls, not designed to impact a jury. You take the stuff that they put up uh, on television so far, and you put that not only in front of a jury, you might be able to get a couple of jurists because juries can be made up of pretty stupid people, but you have a defense attorney counter the crap they put up there, and they would absolutely decimate and destroy the so-called argument that these people are making because it's that weak, it's that flimsy. So they can't present a here's a smoking gun or here is exactly. They can take 10 hours of testimony and say, here's 12 seconds with no context. And here's somebody saying Donald Trump wanted to go to the Capitol. See, there it is. There's your proof. In what context? Don't worry about that. Don't think about that. They've got nothing. They've got so little and nothing, they have to manufacture something to do with phones. Going, oh, geez, the phones. They're wiping it. They're hiding it. The most important thing to remember is all of these phones that were so-called wiped, it was done so during the Biden presidency. Were Democrats in on it? Democrats had assumed full control of it. Or is it more likely that it is just the normal order of things? Let that sink in. When you draw your conclusion, you know what I'm saying is right. By the way, there was one thing in the uh, the primary votes and the referendum that had the left aroused, really, <clears throat> It was Kansas voted to uh, to scrap the idea of getting rid of abortion. NBC News gleefully writes, Kansas voters on Tuesday overwhelmingly struck down a proposed constitutional amendment that would remove language enshrining reproductive rights in their state, a move widely seen as a victory for abortion rights activists. The proposed amendment was the first time anywhere in the U.S. that voters cast ballots on abortion since the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade in June. This is, I, what Kansas does, I, I just don't care. And that's the beauty of federalism. That's the beauty of the whole, Kansas can do whatever the hell Kansas wants to do. It's Kansas. It's not you. It's not me. It's not where we live. It's not, it's where people live in Kansas. Whatever state, that's what Dobbs was about. That's what overturning Roe v. Wade was about. It wasn't about denying anybody an abortion forever and ever and ever and making sure that women go. No, maybe some states will decide to do that and they'll face the consequences for doing that. And other states will be like California where they're like, oh, come on in. We'll uh, put you up in a hotel if you want an abortion. If you get an abortion, you get a free trip to Disneyland. 
and everything in between. The states get to decide. The concept of federalism is alive in the Dobbs decision. But Democrats don't understand that. They also don't understand there can be people who go, abortion isn't a good thing. But the Roe v. Wade, you can see there are even people, Darth Vader Ginsburg was one of them. She loved abortion. But she admitted that Roe v. Wade was a horribly rationalized decision that was just should never have been done. Leave it up to the states. States get to decide. You don't have to have a religious background or religious expression or thoughts about the concept of abortion to think that Roe v. Wade was an abomination legally for the Constitution. And you say, now now it's up to the states and what the states do. And you can sit there, you can fight in the states all you want. That's where the fight should be had. I'm not telling you how to fight. I'm telling you that's where the fight should be had under a constitutionally limited republic. So that Kansas went this way is neither here nor there. The fact, the victory, the real good part about all of this is that Kansas was able to do what Kansas wanted to do. It's up to Kansas. Should be up to, you know, Idaho. Should be up to Wisconsin. Should be up to Louisiana. That's the victory. That one side or other wins a particular fight or whatever, it doesn't matter. Kansas gets to decide what happens in Kansas. So they don't want to get rid of abortion completely will they limit abortion to you get two months make up your mind you get three months make up your mind maybe again that's up to kansas this is how federalism works democrats can't decry the concept and then go oh yay we won and then celebrate it i mean maybe they're so stupid that they don't understand what's going on here i guess that's an that's not even a possibility that's likely a probability but at least now you know what's going on here not the the spin at the left is saying this is doomed for republicans in the fall i i don't think so okay let's uh let's shift gears talk a little bit about uh, joe biden's problems it's not a good time to be joe biden never really is a good time to be joe biden you have no idea where you are most of the time i imagine you um incontinence is a factor in your life he when he went out there to talk about uh, Zawahiri being killed, he, Zawari, he couldn't read it. He didn't know what the hell was going on. And like that groggy sort of state you're in. Like this morning I had to wake up the kid, uh, Quinn. Says, Come on, you got to get up. It's almost breakfast time. And uh, what? I just want to sleep. That's kind of how Joe Biden presents himself most of the time. I know they tried to schedule the Zawahiri statement at 7.30, like, okay, he's going to be well enough awake, right? No, he wasn't. And he squints intently and forgets to blink at that teleprompter. He's so afraid of it. But even Democrats out there, there have been a series of Democrats sitting around being asked basic questions, basic questions about whether or not the president of the United States should run for re-election, whether or not they support the president of the United States running for re-election. Now, there are there are ways to dodge any question if you don't want to do it. Look, I'm focused on my race right now. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. I wish more Republicans would engage in that. I watched, like I said, I watched um, Tudor Dixon, who got the who's the nominee for Republicans for governor in Michigan. I watched her interviewed by Brett Baer on Fox News Sunday on Sunday. And he had like three or four questions, maybe it was three questions, but he circled back on one of them, about Donald Trump for Tudor Dixon. And it's like, how about you just focus on what, she's running for office, okay? She's running for office. Donald Trump isn't running for office. You have her on to interview her theoretically about this, or did you have her on to interview her about Donald Trump? Do you think this was that? Do you the, do you agree with Donald Trump? Why don't you find out what's going on in Michigan, Brett? But it's because they're all obsessed with Trump. They're all obsessed with Trump. It doesn't matter if it's conservative, liberal. They're all they're, they're obsessed. It's just different ways in which they obsess, but they're obsessed with Trump. 
And Tudor Dixon, to her credit, was like, look, I'm here talking about what's going on with me. I'm here talking about my blah, blah, blah. And she she politely sort of addressed the question, but then she spun it towards what she was there to talk about, which is her campaign for governor of Michigan, which is why they supposedly had her on. The fact that Brett Baer had to go back and take three bites, or actually three or four bites at an apple, or maybe eight, four different apples, about this shows a level of obsession that the left has about him. Now, it's a different story altogether when it comes to Democrats and Joe Biden. They don't want to talk about him. Now, the Tudor-Dixon model would be a good way for Democrats who are saying, should Joe Biden run for re-election in 2024? He said, look, I'm not going to talk about this. I'm not talking about 2020. We're talking about 2022, all right? You can be obsessed with the future. Talk to me about 2024 when 2024 comes around. I'm doing, But they don't. Democrats, they don't want to be tied to Joe Biden even that little bit. Anyway, the media horribly would go, well, uh, so-and-so refused to answer whether or not they would uh, support Joe Biden's bid for re-election. What's kind of funny is Cori Bush, the racist member of Congress from St. Louis, the last week was asked about it, and she said, she instead of trying to change the subject, she said, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to talk, which is, it shows that she's dumb. And all you got to do is say, of course, he should run for re-election. He can do whatever he wants. But they don't. Well, last night in New York, there was a debate. Thanks to gerrymandering and a map being thrown out, Democrats trying to rig the game up there again. They had to change the map and they have pitted. They also lost a congressional seat because they chased so many people out of the state of New York that um, a couple of current Democrats are now running against each other. They're running against each other in their primary. Carolyn Maloney, who you probably have seen. I believe Carolyn Maloney, I think she was elected to Congress after her husband was killed in a subway shooting. If I had to guess, I believe it was that. I'm looking that up. And she's running against, in the primary, Gerald Nadler, who's another longtime Democrat. And so they're pitted against each other. Their districts have been combined because they lost a seat. So, at a debate last night, there's a third person in this clip at the beginning, the only one who gives a straight answer and just moves on. Uh, Non-factor in this, the winner will either be Maloney or Nadler. I'll try and look up whether or not uh, Maloney's husband was that. I don't, maybe he's not. Maybe she's not who I'm thinking of. But um, neither one of them, Maloney or Nadler, they can't say they won't say. Well, Maloney actually kind of does give an answer, but... This is a bad day for the President of the United States when prominent members of your own party in a safe district, whoever wins the nomination is going to win the the seat in Congress, in a safe district, try to distance themselves from you. Should President Biden run again in 2024? Yes. Mr. Nadler. Too early to say it doesn't serve the purpose of the Democratic Party to to deal with that until after the midterms. Ms. Maloney. I don't believe he's running for re-election. <laughs> I don't believe he's running for re-election. Still too to say we've got to wait for after this, that, and the other thing. It is not a good day. It is not a good day. Carolyn Maloney's husband, he died in a climbing expedition in 2009 in Tibet. So uh, he didn't, he, I forget who it was that I'm thinking of whose husband was killed in a subway shooting, but that's beside the point. Joe Biden's career is being killed uh, by a thousand cuts. As you sit there and you watch this, what has this last week been all about? Oh, Joe Biden, he's on the comeback. He's on the way back. Even the, uh, the guy who founded Politico and Axios is out there saying, Joe Biden is more Ronald Reagan than he is... Uh, Jimmy Carter now with these legislative victories and blah 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 and like the American public singing a different tune Democrats singing a different tune Democrats don't want anything to do with Joe Biden you can't blame them 
they are on the verge of passing part of their massive legislation. One would think they would be proud of it and proud of the man who will sign this into law, these pieces of legislation into law, but they won't. It'll be interesting to see what happens if any of these things actually do get across the finish line. Because normally on something like what the Biden administration is hoping to do on so-called green energy under the guise of under the guise of uh, inflation reduction, it's a joke. It is not. It's inflation causing. And that would normally, if they get that bill across the finish line, you drag it across the finish line, whatever, there would be a big signing ceremony in the White House Rose Garden going, oh, look at us. And everybody who had a hand in it would be there with the golf claps and the staff would be going nuts and going, oh, geez, we've just had a major victory for the American people. And they didn't. They know it. They don't want to be associated with Joe Biden. So if these people just refuse or they don't show up or it's so bad that they don't even have a signing ceremony, that'll tell you everything you need to know about the idea that uh, democratic unity, if people won't go and meet with the president, won't be on camera getting you know applause with the president of the United States for a piece of legislation they say they support. I'm not saying they don't support it. I'm saying they don't want to have anything to do with Joe Biden. It's kind of funny. Kind of funny. Uh, by the way, this uh, we got two clips here. This is funny. This is uh, from Council of Economic Advisors. I've never seen so many members of the Council of Economic Advisors for the President of the United States doing the rounds on television. Usually it's just, you know, the one person, the top economic advisor, Brian Dees, is... One, the guy who should be the face of the Council of Economic Advisors, the top advisor to the president on the economy. But he is so bad and he has such a strong record of both in print and in audio form of saying that a recession is two consecutive quarters of negative growth, that they can't put him out there because his old words would be thrown back in his face and people would say, so we're having a recession now. No, we're not. This is different. We're not having a recession. Like your own definition, dude, was pretty unambiguous about it being two consecutive quarters of negative growth. So they can't put him out there. So they have to put every other junior member of the Council of Economic Advisors out there. This one on Fox yesterday is a guy named Jared Bernstein. He's being questioned by Martha McCallum and he's pulling... Just the worst defense. The peop- Joe Biden is not only disserved by his own dementia. He is disserved by a complete lack of ability of people around him to be able to coherently make a case for the garbage they're trying to do. Their economic argument to this point has been largely, you don't know how good you've got it which is never a good case. You can't argue somebody somebody feeling wildly insecure about their financial situation. You cannot argue them into going, all right, well, maybe I've got it better. You're not. It's how they feel. You're not going to change that. You're never going to argue somebody into loving you. You're never going to argue somebody into thinking that they've got uh, it much better off than they know they have it. So now they're pulling another argument out of their butts, which is, yeah, it's bad here, but it's worse elsewhere, which is also a horrible argument to make. If you're drowning, you don't want somebody on a boat looking down at you going, yeah, sure, you're drowning and you probably can't tread water all that much longer. But there's a guy over there who's drowning who, you know, there's a shark circling as well. He's going to drown or he's going to get eaten by a shark or both. You're just going to drown. So I don't see why you're complaining. So it's not a real compelling case that they're making here. That's what Jared Bernstein kind of does. It's not Joe Biden's fault that inflation is here. And be glad you don't have it as bad as other people. Hold on, on, Martha. Wait a second, Martha. Go ahead. To say that diesel fuel has come down a couple of cents is absolutely incorrect, okay? I will get you the number of cents. It's not a couple of cents. Uh, So that's point one. Point two, you talked about inflation as uh, Biden's problem, America's problem. 
Yes, this is absolutely unacceptably high from the president's perspective, but inflation is even higher in some other European countries, okay? It's higher in the UK. It's about the same. Why would anyone in this country care about that, Jared? Because if you're asking the question, is this Biden's fault, you then, which you did, you then at least have to tell the folks you're talking to, please explain why this is the case in the European Union and the United Kingdom. Here's what I would say to that. I think people in this country. They expect to have exceptional leadership. They don't expect to be in the same boat as other countries. A lot of those countries have socialist governments. They have other problems that they're okay. You're missing the point, Martha. The point is very simple. You're missing the point. The point point is is that Americans care about what their experience is when it comes to the economy. Absolutely, feel a whole lot better when they're told other folks have it worse. No, that's correct. I'm just saying that if you're trying to say that the inflation is Biden's fault, you then have to explain why Biden is not the president of the United Kingdom or the European Union. <laughs> what a stupid argument. What a stupid You know, you got it. You got it all. Everybody suffering. Stop whining, man. We got it worse than most other countries, but not as worse than all countries. So there are countries that are worse. Oh, congratulations. I guess this is the argument. This is the argument that you can make. Democrats would be much better off. And I can say this because I know they'll never take my advice. Democrats would be much better off saying, you know what? There is inflation going on and we're doing everything we can to try and uh, get it under control and rein it back in. That's it. We're not going to lie to you and tell you, oh, no, 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 it's not. Well, that's too late now. I mean, they spent a year saying it's transitory. It's transitory. It's transitory. And then it just never never left so it's not super transitory this exchange uh, kept going on now look you made a great point though which is that we people need to see us doing everything we can to help them and i think if they look uh, that's exactly what they'll see whether it's prices at the pump whether it's uh, regular gasoline or diesel you'll see uh declines that are 83 percent overall for diesel more than a couple of cents for sure less than that but not much less than that if you're talking about the inflation reduction act we are now working on getting across the legislative finish line a measure that will directly lower prescription drug costs now somebody said a couple of cents in there or a little bit of help on prescription drugs we pay two to three times more what people do in other countries so that is more than a small decrease health insurance coverage the cost of clean energy these are the kinds of things that we are working to try to address the problems that the folks like you were just speaking to face we are working to try to address well does the bill address them or not working to try to address oh we're going to bring down the cost of prescription drugs you're going to negotiate the cost of 10 prescription drugs. And I suspect that maybe half of them will simply no longer be available for seniors. So, you know, you'll have 100% savings on those. But congratulations are not in order. The price of gas at the pump. Yes, you're paying twice as much as for gas as you did when Joe Biden took office. But on the other hand, your prescription that used to be $50 is now $40 a month. So you're paying $60 more per month for gas, but you're paying $10 less a month for one particular pill. So your net loss is only $50 a month relative to how it was $60 a month not that long ago. Line up to thank me, peasant. These arguments are always being made by people who uh, are rich, by the way. We're going to save you a nominal amount on your prescription drugs while causing you to not be able to afford food. Right? I mean, ramen noodles, I guess you could get ramen noodles as long as you don't have high blood pressure because those things are just, you know, salt snakes. Yeah. Democrats are arguing you don't know how good you've got it and people have it worse. Just the worst messaging ever. Oh, uh, by the way, the uh, the death of Ayman al-Zawahiri, which the world should rejoice over, apparently, as we dig more into this, Joe Biden, the left is trying to say, there, there's this thing by the left-wing group, the recount, where they're showing how Obama announced the death of bin Laden versus Trump announcing the death of Soleimani versus Biden announcing the death of Zawahiri. And they cut up Biden quite a bit. And yeah, Barack Obama came out and read the remarks that were prepared for him. And Donald Trump came out and was Donald Trump. 
this guy's dead. He's an evil SOB, blah, blah, blah. This is sort of the blunt talk that people liked about Trump. And then they try to say that uh, Joe Biden returned us to the dignity of this. First of all, when you're killing a terrorist, I don't really care about dignity. I'm not interested in the dignity of the terrorist and the announcement of how, you know, when you when you describe a terrorist leader as an austere religious leader, you kind of lose me in so far as me giving a damn about what you think and how you care to phrase things and what things do and don't upset your sensibilities. But it turns out that apparently, according to reporting by the New York Times, we found out like on April 1st where Zawahiri was. And it took this long to convince Joe Biden to kill him. In that video I told you about where it's side by side by side, they edit the hell out of it. They edit out as many Zawiris as possible because Joe Biden cannot pronounce Zawahiri. It's too many syllables and too easy. It's pronounced how it's phonetically spelled, but that's beside the point. Also, they cut out the part where Joe Biden said that he had given the order for the hit. He had done it. He had done it. It took him months and months and months and months to agree to do it. Never forget, Joe Biden was the only person in the room who, when the opportunity came up to eliminate Osama bin Laden, Joe Biden advised against it. No, don't do this. Too risky. It's too risky. I'm kind of surprised if you remember that that time period. I, I'm surprised. Oh, maybe they did. I should check that before I say it. Remember when Democrats created the, they started saying that that was a gutsy call? That Obama killing bin Laden was a gutsy call? It was a okay. The server can't be reached. Okay, there we go. That's good. That's good that they didn't revise that. But they called it a gutsy call, and then gutsycall.com suddenly became all the talk. Oh my God! It is so amazing how Barack Obama made this really gutsy call. Like, what was Pakistan going to do? Go to war for us? Were they really? No, they weren't. But immediately, Gutsy Call then went to Obama for America.com. It was a complete fundraising thing. The media talking point was it was a Gutsy Call. The Democratic Party talking point was it was a Gutsy Call. And the campaign started raising money off of it. Hand in glove. That's how it works. I'm surprised they didn't revise the Gutsy Call thing for this situation. Probably, they probably looked at it and Barack Obama said, nope. I don't want this guy associated with me at all. Anyway, uh, I wanted to switch to Whoopi just for a second to play you this audio because it's, my God, these people are so out of touch. These people are so out of touch with reality. You're making, Whoopi, I think she makes somewhere around $8 million a year. You imagine $8 million a year and you go, $8 million a year, what do I have to do? Do I have to become particularly learned on a, any specific subject? No, no, you don't. I don't. No. No, you don't even have to be right. All you, You're free to make a complete ass out of yourself all you want. You can say that the Holocaust had nothing to do with race. You can say the Nazis weren't interested in race. You can, you can be incredibly stupid, and you'll still get that $8 million a year. It'll be nice. It'll be wonderful. You'll get, I mean, you might get another two weeks paid vacation, but that's it. Oh, all right. So I don't have to learn. So I have to read newspapers. No, no, you don't. All you have to do is show up here, be on TV for an hour, and uh, somebody will brief you up, give you a paragraph on each topic that we're talking about. Oh, all right. And that's it. And if you make a fool out of yourself, all the better. You go off that more than that paragraph, all the better. We don't care. Those are viral moments, and we live for viral moments. So Whoopi's down, Joy is down, all the other uh, ladies are down. So yesterday, Whoopi's talking about how people can't afford stuff. Now, this, this would be a lot like me talking to Dr. Ben Carson about really what it's like to do some brain surgery. This is how, this is how you do brain... Look, I know, you, but this, this is how you should be doing brain surgery. It just, it's absurd. It's stupid. It's somebody who's never 
done it, never experienced this, or at least hasn't experienced. Whoopi's in her 60s, if not her 70s. And she hasn't been poor since her 20s. If she was poor then, I don't know. So she's not really struggling with much of anything. Never has. If, if Whoopi Goldberg struggles with money, it's because she spent too much. You know, that's the, that's the thing. It's not that she wasn't earning too much. It's that she spent too much. But she's speaking on behalf of people who are having difficulty affording things thanks to Biden's inflation, thanks to Biden's horrible economy. And she's got an idea. She knows. She knows what the problem is. It's student loans. So anybody out there who can't afford $4.25 a gallon for gas to fill up their car, anybody having trouble, it's not because Joe Biden's fault. It's because of those evil student loans that you have, and therefore Joe Biden needs to forgive those student loans, which, by the way, would only exacerbate inflation but that's we're not dealing with we're dealing with somebody who thought that joe biden was a doctor and should be surgeon general of the united states so we're not dealing with somebody who's smart we're dealing with somebody who's so far out of touch it is frightening and simultaneously hilarious it's a very short clip slam on young people but if you have worked your behind off you've tried to move yourself up the ladder you talk about people can't get gas, they can't buy food, yeah. they can't put their children through through any kind of college. That's because they're paying off these freaking student debts. That's because they're paying off these freaking student debts. Hey, uh, whoop Oprah, Woprah. Student loans haven't been required to receive payment two and a half years, right? Two and a half, long before inflation. When the pandemic started, that's when they started suspending payments on student loans. Those student loan payments have not yet restarted. Nobody, unless you're wanting to, is paying their student loans. Now, you'd almost be a fool to be paying your student loans right now, especially since Joe Biden won the election. You sit there and you go, this idiot is going to forgive some, if not all, of my debt so I can not make payments, no interest accrues. And if Joe Biden wipes clean my debt, then I, I win. If you're going, well, I, I wanted to keep paying off. Uh, I paid off $10,000 in the past year because blah, blah, blah. That's your choice. But you're doing it by choice. And if you're sitting there going, I'm paying my student loans, even if you don't think and don't want them to forgive student loans, you should be sitting there going, well, if I can't eat, or fill up my gas tank because I'm paying on my student loans, yet right now I am not obligated to pay on my student loans, maybe you shouldn't pay on your student loans. I'm just saying, pick up the sandwich and put down the checkbook and live a little. But in Whoopi's, Wopra's world, she doesn't get any of it because it's never been an issue for her. She's so wildly out of touch, but she gets cheered by an audience of barking seals because they're all stupid people. And speaking of stupid people, since we were just speaking of stupid people, Sean King, the name Sean King it probably doesn't mean anything to you. He's been sort of a non-entity for a while, but at the height of uh, Ferguson, he was one of the leaders. Just like, remember, D was it D. Ray or D. Roy, one of the two, McKesson. He kind of disappeared. He cashed. I mean, he's making money. He's got serious money out there. But Sean King, same thing. Sean King starts a new charity every other week, rakes in a whole bunch of money from gullible, stupid liberals, and then goes, oh, I'm folding this charity. It's just not working out. But I'm starting a new charity. Start this charity. Like, hey, what happened to the money? Don't question. You're a racist. Ask the question. It's ironic because Sean King screams racism because he's a white guy. He pretends to be black. He's Rachel Dolezal with a penis. Uh, and uh, that's he's known as Talcum X. People make fun of him because he's a white guy who pretended for a long time to be a black guy. He keeps his hair cut super short, uh, like really serious buzz cut territory down to nothing because if it grows out, it's not, you know... It, it 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 would raise questions. So he's made a lot of money. He's gotten into a lot of trouble. A lot of people going, why did you start this charity? What happened to the hundreds of thousands of dollars you raised here? And he goes, oh, you guys are just racist against me. 
Well, he's got another thing he's doing. He spent $40,000 on a guard dog. Not his money. He gets his salary. He gets his taste. His beak is wet. His beak has its own swimming pool. It's so wet. But he, uh, he's now got a $40,000 guard dog. Blaze has the story. Black Lives Matter activist Sean King lashed out at a reporter claiming he'd spent $40,000 worth of donations to purchase a large guard dog. The report was documented at the Free Beacon and said King used money donated to his political pack named Grassroots Law in order to buy the Mastiff and prize show dog named Mars, M-A-R-Z. The pack made two payments, adding to $40,650 to Patreo Performance Dogs in California in December and February, according to the report. King posted to his social media ad about adding the dog to his family in a post that has since been deleted or made private. The post also said that the pack had paid out $56,000 to political campaigns since 2001. Only 16000 more than was paid for the dog. Oh, we're a political action committee. We will work to empower whatever, and we will fight for this, that, or the other thing, and whatever you care. We do. You spent only $16,000 $16, more on political activities than you did on buying a dog. I'm going to go ahead and question the sincerity of your actions. You know, I got I got some questions. In response to the report, King penned a rambling note on his Instagram account trying to justify the purchase while blaming white supremacy, which theoretically, if you believe all the uh, white fragility and anti-racism crap, Sean King is a beneficiary of white supremacy, seeing as how he's white. Quote, white supremacists and people who've meant my family harm have not have shown up have now shown up to our last three homes. Oh, you got a lot of houses. Multiple times, King claimed. I've received death threats in the mail, in email, and across social media. I report it. Nothing happens. So he needs a $40,000 dog? He needs a $40,000 dog? He claims because of the threats, and he spent more time trying to protect his family than he did working on social justice. Man, it's a hell of a racket. Quote, so now this, when you see reports about the money it costs to keep me and my family safe, it's nowhere near enough. Not at all. Not even close. He's the real victim, ladies and gentlemen. Talcum X. <laughs> King has been criticized for his lack of accountability while raising millions in fundraising campaigns ostensibly for the fight against racism. The activist previously made headlines when he asserted in 2020 that statues which portray Jesus as a white man should be taken down. Quote, they are a form of white supremacy, always have been, created as tools of oppression, racist propaganda. They should all come down. Uh, even a marble statue of Jesus, Sean, is not as white as you are, Talcum X. Power to the people. Power to the people. And since we are talking about stupid people, we'll finish on another stupid person. Demi Lovato is a singer. Remember a couple years ago, I was at the DNC and I got to see her perform. I got to see her do her psych sound check. She's a good singer. She used to be attractive. Now she looks like a linebacker. Uh, she's become gender, or no, she was, now she was pansexual. And that her uh, her pronouns were they, them. She somehow felt, I'm feeling particularly third-person plural today. And so she announced her pronouns were they, them. Well, now she's back to being a woman or whatever. It's just proof that this stuff is made up. UK Daily Mail. Demi Lovato has explained she is now using she, her pronouns in addition to they, them, more than a year after coming out as non-binary. She needs help. If you actually look at photographs of her over the time from when she was uh, popular to now and when she was uh, at the height of her I'm non-binary stuff, she got serious problems. Serious problems. There's some physically, it's not just that she's unattractive. She's definitely unattractive and gotten less attractive over time. But she just looks physically unwell. Physically, you look at her and you go, 
my God, you need to sit down. My God, you, there's something wrong with you. We need to get you to some place. That's what happens when you look at her. Lovato, 29, opened up about readopting the pronouns during an appearance on Spout Podcast, revealing she decided to go by she, her as well as uh, after recently revealing that she's feeling more feminine. <laughs> just made up. It's just made up. I've actually, quote, I've actually adopted the pronouns of she, her again with me. So for me, I'm such a fluid person that I don't really and don't find that I am. I felt like, especially last year, my energy was balanced and my masculine and feminine energy so that when I was faced with the choice of walking into a bathroom and it said women or men, I don't feel like there was a bathroom for me because I didn't feel necessarily like a woman. End quote. I read that quote directly. I'm proud of myself to be able to get through it. It is ramblings of an insane person. Demi Lovato should not be having stories written about her celebrating the fact that she is now opening herself up to more pronouns, not just the third-person plural pronouns, but the ones that are actually accurate to her. She should be having a... Con there should be an intervention. This should be used not to celebrate her, but to plan an intervention because the woman clearly, clearly, clearly needs help. Good Lord. That's it. We're out of time for today. They, them will be back tomorrow. Jump in a lake. I might actually go jump in a lake. Thank you so much for listening. Have yourself a wonderful day. Like I say, we'll be back to do it all again tomorrow. See you then. <laughs>